Our Old Testament scripture reading is Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 10. And then we're going to stop a bit before what the bulletin says. We're going to read through verse 14. It really should have more context, but we looked at this passage not very long ago in connection with our study of the Heidelberg Catechism and the prayer, Deliver Us from Evil. This being one of many Old Testament passages that affirms the reality of personal spiritual evil. Daniel has prayed, and this is the response of an angel, a messenger coming to him. Daniel 10, verses 10 through 14. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. This is also the text for our sermon as we continue our series in the letter to the Ephesians. The entire passage is our text. We're going to draw on all of it, but you'll notice, I think, that our focus is very much in the first four verses, 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we gather together around your word and sacrament, we with humility confess before you that these are not things that we control or manipulate, 
that they do not depend on our skills or ability, but they are a matter of your blessing. And so, for your word this morning, for it to be a blessing to us, we need your Holy Spirit's presence. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit, illuminating our hearts and minds, enabling us to understand your word so that we might receive it by faith. We have before us glorious things. We have before us challenging things. And so it is with humility then that we pray for your spirit that we might receive from your word what you have for us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have finally arrived at the angels and demons sermon. I don't know if any of you were thinking that when we began Ephesians, but I have been looking forward to this one for a long time. I am eager to be in this portion of scripture with you. Many of us come from backgrounds in the Christian church where we are accustomed to speaking of these things more often, to speaking of the reality of demonic evil and to do so in such a way that it seems as though perhaps that is all we are talking about when it comes to the enemies we face. When I was a kid, there was a series of books that I was very much into that emphasized these things. Now, there were some good parts of that, but part of growing in Reformed theology was the realization of just what was dangerous in all of that. So much of the language of everything being about spiritual warfare gives the suggestion that God is not really in charge, begins to treat good and evil as though they are simply uh, equal opposites that equally define what is happening in the world. They so often fail to emphasize the victory of Christ in his resurrection And they often make much of what the scriptures only tell us a very small amount. Perhaps that is the main problem. We have a few verses that affirm these things, but only a few. And so for many of us, whether it was when we were new to Reformed theology, or maybe those of us who have grown up in it would say, we don't really ever talk about this. When was the last time you said to a brother or sister, maybe it's a demon? I would suggest we don't do this very often. We must be careful, as Dr. Garcia warned us when he was here for the Pentecost festival, we must be careful of pendulum swings when it comes to trying to grow spiritually and theologically. The reaction to an error is almost always another error. And the reaction to the sort of obsession with spiritual warfare and angels and demons and these sorts of things is another error. And that is the neglect of these things. In many ways, the rejection of them. We have before us in Ephesians chapter 6 a clear affirmation that the main enemy we face in the Christian life is real, personal, spiritual evil. What we in the Christian tradition have called demons. This text clearly affirms this and we must take it seriously. And so what I want us to hear and see this morning in God's word is that the scriptures here from Ephesians 6 affirm the reality of demonic evil in a way that says this is important for the Christian life, that this matters for the witness of the church. If we are not talking about this at all, if we do not think and feel of the Christian life in terms of these things at all, we are getting something wrong. And we are getting something wrong that puts us in real danger. So this morning we turn to Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20. 
We're going to look at it in these three steps. First, Paul's affirmation of the reality of demonic evil. Then, second, we're going to think a little bit theologically about why this is important. What difference does it make to think of the world in these terms? That's all going to feel a little bit abstract, and so you have to trust me, the third point is coming, which is how this matters for how we live as the church. First, the reality of demonic evil. Verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is telling the church, you are facing enemies, you need to be strong. Why? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So here he says, the devil, this personal spiritual evil that is in the world, has schemes against you as the church. And then the really fun verse, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now this is striking because Paul is in prison by enemies of the gospel. And he says, those aren't the enemies. What do we wrestle against? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This sequence of phrases is a sequence that the Apostle Paul uses here and in other places to speak of this reality of personal spiritual evil, fallen angels, demonic forces opposing the church and God's people. This is language that suggests that they are often behind the scenes of powers that are in the world. The language, rulers, authorities, this is suggesting the language of human power, earthly things that are used for evil. But then Paul is very clear, that's not all he's talking about, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil, not just in the realm that we see, but in the heavenly places. And remember, heavenly places doesn't simply mean a space far away. It means God's realm, the spiritual realm, that which we are separated from as creatures, but most of all because of our sin. He says the real enemy is that spiritual evil. Now, the way Paul uses these phrases uh, has invited in some ways debates. Does he mean human powers? Does he mean spiritual powers? Some of the phrases do lean more in the direction of, of human forces in the world that are used for evil. But the reason he so freely combines them is that that is so often what spiritual darkness uses. Spiritual demonic evil so often in the scriptures is behind the scenes. It's not always open and obvious. It's not always seen and clear. And so it uses masks in the world. It uses the front of other human institutions, human forces, real people. But what Paul is saying is that the real enemy behind the scenes is this spiritual evil. When the apostle affirms this spiritual darkness, this is not a new idea. He is not being given by God something new that he has never thought before, and then we believe him just because the Bible says so. But rather, he is teaching something that is drawing upon the entire history of Israel, the entire story of God's dealings with his people, where there is story after story that makes it clear that what is happening, the evil they face, is not just the nation that's oppressing them, but it is the gods, the demons that those nations are worshiping. Israel was freed from that idolatrous worship in Egypt. They were warned against those pagan practices as they went into the promised land. Daniel 10, that wonderful passage we read about 
an angel being sent to bring a response to prayer to Daniel. And he is delayed because he has to fight the prince of Persia, some sort of demonic evil he faces. And angel reinforcements are sent to help him win that fight so he can bring the answer to the prayer. If there was ever a story where I wish we had a whole book of the Bible for that story, it would be that one. We must learn from this, by the way. Remember, we noted this in our time in the Catechism regarding Deliver Us From Evil. The scriptures affirm just enough about demonic evil to be clear that it is real. But they do not affirm enough for us to be obsessed with it, for us to be consumed by speculation with it. The scriptures affirm just enough to say, remember, this is real and this matters, but not enough for it to be the kind of thing we would obsess over and talk about constantly. And that wisdom is deeply important. We must affirm it in the way the scriptures affirm it, which is as very much being behind the scenes, but nevertheless being fully real. So, here we are sitting as modern Americans. In your pockets and purses are powerful computing devices. We flip switches and light dawns and air is cooled. And many have said, in a time and place where you have access to such technology, such scientific advancement, how in the world can you take seriously any talk about something like a demon? This objection, you know, lives very much in our culture. I'm not worried about that. This objection lives very much in our hearts right now. Many of us, even as we affirm these things, we affirm them as though they are somehow contrary to being smart about the world. You know, being into science and research and evidence and exploring the creation. We are tempted to think that the affirmation of the spiritual realm is something we affirm in a way that sits uneasy with how the world feels to be. The world feels very mechanical. It feels very technical. It feels very predictable and orderly. And we are tempted to think, therefore, that all these things we are saying, you've got a guy standing up front saying demons are real to think, well, I guess that's just this really weird thing we affirm because it's in the Bible, so we're stuck with it. Brothers and sisters, we have bought a delusion, a delusion that is unique to our cultural time and place. And this delusion desperately needs to have holes poked in it. In the history of the world, and if you were to go around the globe today, the vast majority of humanity in all times and places has thought it was patently obvious that there was a spiritual realm. Has thought it was absolutely obvious that reality is not fully explained simply by matter in motion. Indeed, it is only the good news of the Creator and the distinction of the creator from the creation that frees us from the pagan worship of the creation. Why is, I know this is going deep, but why is it so important to say this? I think too many of us are trapped in a way of thinking that says, on the one hand, you have a scientific worldview that makes things like lights and air conditioning and smartphones happen. And on the other hand, you have this compartment that is where all the religion stuff goes. So, like, we've got our religion, Christianity, and you've got pagan stuff, and you've got all these other things. There's the science category and the religion category. But you see, this is all wrong. 
What kept science from happening is paganism. It is the worship of the creation. It is the viewing the creation as though demons are controlling and manipulating and in charge of everything. And what makes science possible, what frees us to study the creation, to make use of it, is the good news of the creator. And that those demonic powers are that alien invasions. They are foreign enemies in God's good creation. It is what we affirm in the scriptures that most affirms the work of science, that most affirms the fact of an orderly creation given to us by an orderly creator. I love the story of St. Boniface, the missionary to the Germanic pagans in the 8th century. Pagans were worshiping a particular tree. And one of the things the gospel does is it comes and says, you do realize you can just cut down that tree. Yes, there are demons, but they're defeated. And what the good news of the creator says is that the creation is his good creation. It is not controlled by these pagan spiritual forces and you are free to simply use it. The story is he cut down the tree and built a church. I think the better statement would be you cut down the tree and you build a house. You build a musical instrument. You build the stand that a telescope will be on to then learn more about the stars. God, as the creator, affirms the goodness of all of that. And it is what the scriptures proclaim about the creator that frees us from a creation that is controlled by these dark forces and unleashes the work of science and engagement in the creation. Now, I know that not everyone here is equally troubled by that question. I think more of us are than who would admit it. So I'm not going to apologize for going deep just then, though I'm basically apologizing right now. But here is the main point. Every human being knows that created reality is more than just matter in motion. Every human being knows that love is a thing, that it is not just chemicals and hormones. Every human being knows that the relationship between two people within a community is a reality. Every human being knows that evil is real. And so, when the creator is denied, when the scriptures are denied, humans are stuck trying to account for this in all sorts of ways. What God's word has for us here is the affirmation of that basic human instinct. That the spiritual realm is real. What we all feel, what every human being senses, is true. And it is philosophically wise. It is intellectually wise. It is at the very foundation of all of science and exploration to say, reality is more than simply matter in motion. We should not be embarrassed of this. This should be one of the things we are most eager to proclaim as answering a deep human longing. Spiritual realities are real. The reality of demonic evil. Second, the importance of this reality. I trust you sense we're already moving into answering that question. Why is it so important that we take seriously what the Apostle Paul says here? Again, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Why does this matter? Well, it matters not just what I've already said, that affirming spiritual reality resonates with what every human being knows, but it matters in particular that evil really is evil. That evil is not just 
uh, humans' way of talking about things they don't like. Because you see, on, on the, the, the way of talking about the world that our culture has submitted to so foolishly, this is what we are stuck doing. Evil is just my opinion. Evil is just something that didn't go the way we wanted. It is good news that that sense we have, whether it be in struggling with ways of living that are destructive, whether it be in the darkness of broken relationships and the things people do to each other, whether it be the darkness we feel behind our physical weakness and the reality of death and the reality of the brokenness of our bodies, it is good news that there is something there that is not as it was created to be. That it is not just the way the world is. But what this text affirms is that there is a foreign invader in God's good creation. And we have the good news. I know it sounds strange to say it's good news. But we have the good news for those around us that that, so much of what they think of as evil really is evil. It's not just our opinion. But that spiritual darkness is a thing. And in that is ultimately then the affirmation of the goodness of the creation. Because we can distinguish these now. We can say God's world was created good, but there is a curse because of sin. And so we can distinguish that evil that has been unleashed from the goodness of the creation as God made it. And so maybe ironically we would say talking about demons helps us affirm the goodness of life and the goodness of creation, because it affirms evil as a thing, and the, the world, it's not just the way the world is. This is embedded in our text, by the way. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, when Paul says God, he is assuming all of the scriptures, and so this is the creator God of Genesis chapter 1 that Paul is speaking of. Likewise, when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God in verse 17, where do we first encounter the word? It is the word of creation. God spoke. And so this is not, you know, again, seeking to reject that idea that you have sort of like the science category and the religion category. We say, no, it is this very way of speaking of things that affirms the goodness of the creation and therefore all that we do in God's good creation. The importance is that evil is real. A second importance This affects, and, and what I'm about to say is quite possibly Paul's main point. There's so many other things we have to say, and so we're going to move on from this, but I don't want us to lose track of how important this is. Quite possibly the main thing Paul has in mind. This affects how we think about the mission of the church. If you just think through the voices you've been listening to this past week, who is the enemy right now? Who is the enemy the church faces? We just thought of a whole bunch of human beings. What does the Apostle Paul say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual darkness. We do not take this as seriously as we should. Paul is writing this at a time of persecution. If there was ever a time, look, a time that makes Christians in America look ridiculous, talking about how persecuted and oppressed we are. If there was a time where it was clear that there were human, flesh and blood enemies that the church faced, it was then. Paul is literally in prison. 
many speculate, oh, we don't know, but we speculate when he's talking about the armor of God, that there's quite possibly a Roman soldier standing right there, imprisoning him. And that's part of where he gets the inspiration for the armor. That's possible. I don't know. But why do we speculate that? Well, because there would have been soldiers there. Now, do you see the point here? Really obvious flesh and blood enemies using the sword to oppress the gospel. And the Apostle Paul says they aren't the enemy. He says the enemy is this spiritual darkness. Your enemy is not human beings. Rather, human beings are our fellow humanity, our fellow sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, who we are eager to see rescued from the real enemy, which is this demonic evil, the evil that lives in the world. And the gospel is the good news of the way, the path of being rescued from that darkness. St. Augustine said it this way, we have to distinguish between enemies for whom we must pray and enemies against whom we must pray. Human enemies of whatever kind are not to be hated. The enemies against whom we need to pray are the devil and his angels. And you see what this does? This was Israel's constant temptation. Israel good, nations bad. Israel good, Gentile nations out there bad. And when they thought that way, what what were they forgetting? That from the very beginning, when God called Abraham, he said in Genesis chapter 12, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That the purpose of Israel was to be the means by which God would bring salvation to all the nations of the world. Now, what do we do? Church, good. Pagans out there, bad. Church, good. People who disagree with me politically, bad. Church, good, you can fill in the blank. We do the very same thing. And the way the Apostle Paul is confronting Israel, telling Israel, remember, it's not Israel good, nations bad. It's rather, you are the the, the source from which, the place which God is launching the rescue mission for all of his lost human beings, for all of his creatures who he loves. He says to the church today, Remember, you are here for the sake of the nations. You are here for the sake of those who are lost. And far too many of us are listening to voices throughout the week that are dividing the world into good people, bad people. It's foolish, it's faithless. The gospel of Jesus Christ announces the good news of the real enemy, thereby freeing us What is the Christian ethic? What is Israel's ethic from day one? To love our neighbor. You see, the announcement of demonic evil in a very direct way frees you simply to love your neighbor, to do good to those around you, to live in a sin-sick, messed-up world, to enjoy doing business with people you disagree with vigorously on all manner of things, because in that relationship, you have opportunity to be witness. The real enemy is not some political cause, some social cause. The real enemy is demonic evil, and we are in the world to announce the good news of freedom from that. Our posture 
must be clear. Our tone must be clear. The way our voice sounds must be clear that what we desire is that our fellow humans be freed. And that they can tell in all of our interactions, in all of our way of speaking, in all of what we choose to care about and how to talk about it, they can tell what we are after is their good. I would dare say, far too often in especially conservative Christian circles, this is not clear. And it must be. And it is precisely this affirmation of spiritual evil that frees us to do that. I say to all of my fellow humans, you are not my enemy. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. Therefore, I love my neighbor, being like God, as we are called to be as sons of our daughters of our heavenly father. And that ought to then shape our witness. And it is what Paul says here. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood with a Roman soldier standing right there, but rather against spiritual evil. And you see, what is that good news that we then have to announce? This is the last reason this is so important. Still in point two, but the last part of point two. Why is Paul so confident in this passage? Why is he so sure this armor is going to work? Why is he so sure the gospel matters for all of this? Because Christ has won the victory. Because what Jesus did at the cross and resurrection was conquering spiritual evil. And we must delight in speaking of the gospel in this way. Colossians 2 verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When was the last time you spoke of the gospel in these terms? We have reduced the gospel to Jesus died so I can be forgiven and go to heaven one day. We need this as part of the gospel. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. The victory that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Why do we need this affirmation of demonic evil? Because this affects how we hear the gospel. There is darkness, brothers and sisters. There is present darkness. You are experiencing it right now. And part of what the gospel announces is the good news that that darkness is defeated. That one of the things that happened at the cross, part of the wrath of God against our sin was the unleashing of spiritual darkness. It did its worst at the cross. And in the resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ crushed it. This present darkness is a defeated darkness. And so right now, in your life, all that you fear, all that you fear, is ultimately only fearful because of this spiritual darkness. And therefore, all that you fear is something about which you must hear and receive the good news that it has been defeated. In your experience of physical weakness, whether it be sickness or injury or that which comes with age, the reality of death, what makes it fearful? It's this darkness. Broken relationships. What makes it fearful? It's this darkness. And so we need, as part of how the gospel is proclaimed, the announcement that these cosmic forces of evil over this present darkness that Paul talks about have been defeated. They are not in charge. It's just the last battles on the other side of the decisive victory 
It's already been won. We need that good news. Finally then, and thirdly, how does this shape our life? So what do we see first? The affirmation of, of demonic evil. Second, why it matters theologically. Evil is real, mission, how we talk about the gospel. Third, so what? So, we go on from here, and you say, all right, I'm going to think more about demonic evil. Now what do I do? Well, I do think one of the main things the Apostle Paul intends in this text is simply that we be aware of this, that this shape how we interpret our experiences. So what is the first step? The first step is to realize you are being attacked spiritually. As part of what you are experiencing in the Christian life, you are being attacked by real spiritual demonic evil. Paul is clear about this. God's word is clear. Now, this is going to raise a whole lot more questions. I'm not going to answer them. Most of them aren't answered in Scripture. Most of the point of what Scripture is saying is simply that we be aware of this dimension. We speak in our catechism of three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, that tells us that we must be aware of demonic evil as an enemy, but it means there are other enemies as well. I, I think I'd mentioned to you when we had that time in the catechism that I had recently had an experience of what I experienced as very deep spiritual darkness that could very well simply have been lack of sleep. I don't know. Part of the point is you don't have to know. What is wrong is assuming it's never spiritual darkness. It may be your physical weakness. It may be the oppression and the temptations of the world. It may be precisely your physical weakness that demonic evil is taking advantage of. You see, the point is not that we sort it out, that we identify, now I know there's a demon, now I know there's not. The point is to simply be aware and to think in these terms that part of what you are experiencing is the attack of real spiritual evil. And one of the reasons that our thinking about it is so important is Paul speaks of these as schemes. He speaks of the schemes of the devil in verse 11. That the devil, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, is intelligent, knows how to hide, hopes that we will forget about him. Very much clearly his approach in our own culture is to be hidden. We can simply observe that in our own experience. And so we need to be wise in thinking in this way. I recently had a particular, um, I've probably shared this with you before actually, but I, a particular darkness I was struggling with and I was with a friend who was a minister and I was describing how this particular thing was affecting my ability to function as a minister and he said to me, Nick, this sounds like demonic oppression. And I thought first, wow, I don't talk that way as often as I should. And I thought second, well, I mean, how do I know? I mean, how do you know? And he's like, well, we don't know. But he said this, the scriptures are clear that you are being attacked. So if it's at, not at this point, what point is it? Meaning, we must be affirming that we are being attacked at some point. That is what the scriptures are very clear about. And so we must always have functioning in our minds that reality. You are being attacked. Verse 12, wrestle. We wrestle against these spiritual forces. Verse 16, the flaming darts of the evil one. All of these things are language of an attack happening. Real spiritual darkness. We get almost no more information than that. But we are told where to go from there. What is the next thing we are told? That you are given armor that is sufficient. Now, 
we don't, have, we don't have any time for this, actually, to go through every piece of the armor and what it says. All of it amounts to being the gospel. The list of things that he gives, truth, righteousness, readiness of the gospel, faith, salvation, the word, it's all of the gospel. He's saying this is what protects you. This is what makes you secure. And notice how much this is the language of promise. He's telling us we have to fight. We have to be strong. But he says it in this way in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So as much as this is going to be saying what we have to do, in our remaining minutes together here, it is in the Lord's strength that we are doing it. It's a matter of promise. It is Paul announcing, you are covered with armor that makes you secure. You are protected. These enemies cannot get at you because you are wrestling not in your own might, but in the Lord's might. We can summarize. As you face spiritual evil, you do so by standing on the promises of your baptism. That God has claimed you as his own, that he has put his name upon you, and all of that is the promise of therefore armor against these attacks. But as much as it is God's grace, it's also clear that this is armor that we must put on. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Verse 11, that you may be able to stand. We can go on and on through this section. Take the helmet of salvation. Persevering, standing, uh, the call to pray in verses 18 through 20. All of these are affirmations that this involves your doing. So in all that we have said, do not let the good things we affirm in Reformed theology about God's sovereignty and God's providence protecting us, do not let those cancel out the other things we affirm, which is that the Christian life involves our doing, our acting, our being vigilant, our fighting against the spiritual evil that we face, whether it mean resisting temptation, whether it mean persevering by faith in the midst of trial, whether it mean loving our neighbor when it is painful and difficult, these are all ways we face enemies, and they all involve our effort, our doing. Indeed, verses 18 through 20 emphasize prayer in particular, praying at all times in the Spirit. So if you want one concrete takeaway from this, this sounds very anticlimactic, use the Lord's Prayer. Because what did Jesus teach us to pray? Deliver us from evil. He embedded right within the prayer the awareness of real demonic spiritual evil that we face. We are given armor that we are such that we are secure. It's armor that we must put on. This involves our doing, our acting. I want to give you another specific takeaway. So remember the conversation I had with my friend who was a minister and he said, maybe this is demonic oppression. Speak this way with each other. We are under a delusion that this sort of thing is never a thing. We are under delusion. This is all fundamentally unreal. And we must help each other with this delusion. Help each other recognize and identify the spiritual struggle that we are up against. That when you are facing a temptation, that when you are are tormented by a strained or broken relationship and there is darkness there, we must be aware of and speak of the spiritual dimension. We still, no different than Israel long ago, we still face the same evils. When Israel was tempted to worship Baal, what was it about? Well, there was the allure of a pagan way of worship by which you controlled and manipulated things. 
but it was also about the pagan sexual practices that surrounded it. It was about worshiping uh, fertility and economic productivity. It was about going after all the same things that we are tempted to go after. And what the scriptures so clearly affirmed then, and they affirm now, is it is demonic evil that would have you pursue those things. It is demonic evil that is scheming to tempt you to lay your weapons down, to stop fighting, to simply give yourself over to the destructive way of life. And so the exhortation of our text in the midst of all of that is therefore to persevere in the fight. Beautiful words from the Apostle Paul in verse 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It is so easy to love the Christian life, to love following Jesus, to love the church at a particular moment in time. It's really easy. Countless people do it. What is hard is persevering. What is hard is the long haul. What is hard is through the seasons of life, through the ups and downs, through the disappointments, through the changes, all of these opportunities for spiritual evil, the weakness of our flesh, the temptations of the world, all of the enemies. And in all of those, we must help each other unmask the real enemy. We must help each other unmask and see what is really going on. That in that moment, in that season, in that transition, in that time of disappointment, of wishing life were otherwise, in that moment, one of the enemies you face that we must help each other see is demonic evil that would destroy us if it could. We are called to persevere and we need each other for this perseverance. Some of you right now, are flirting with darkness, are flirting with the temptation to lay down your weapons, to say, this is exhausting. What have I gotten from it? I want what they've got. Still just bail. And we must help each other see this, that we turn away from those things to our Lord Jesus Christ and the victory he has won over that evil, that in the strength of his might, not our own, we might resist that temptation. For this we need each other. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, it is here as we gather when the church gathers, that we taste and experience that victory that God has given us over this present darkness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the victory you have given us in Christ, and we pray that you would help us to persevere faithfully, to unmask the spiritual darkness that we face, and to Encourage each other along in that way of following you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.